you'll please open your Bibles with me today. We're going to be uh, finishing, well, not finishing up, but getting close uh, in the middle there of Ephesians 5. We're going to be reading verses uh, 15 through 20, 21. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. If you can stand with me. If you have your Bibles, open them up. and uh, Otherwise, we'll have it up here on the screen. And follow along with me. This is the word of the Lord. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. May you have ears to hear it. May his blessing be added to it. Please have a seat. Back in uh, 2004, I visited a friend. I went out to a wedding of a friend in Vancouver a beautiful town, and they had their reception up in the mountains. It was a beautiful banquet hall, but it didn't have a very big parking lot because mountain. So we had to park down in the foothills, and we took a bus up there. And so it was a really good time. They had an open bar, so as you might imagine, some people imbued a little bit more than others. And when we went back, we took the bus back down, and it was about a 45-minute trip from the banquet hall back to the parking lot. And as we were going down, one of the guys who obviously had more to drink than anybody else, Uncle Jerry there, Uncle Jerry stood up in the middle of the bus aisle and just was kind of stumble back up and down, sort of telling jokes. We didn't get any of them, but he's just kind of in that very loud, slurred way. And he's like, let's all sing songs together. And the bus driver's like, sir, you need to sit down. We're literally going down a mountain. This is not safe for you to be walking. He, he wouldn't listen. And everybody kept telling him, like, it's just, it's the end of a night. Some of us are getting ready for a hangover in the morning. So please, if you could just sit down. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't listen to them. He was just very loud. And I remember sitting in the back, watching him and thinking, this is what excess drinking does. It takes your self-control away. It takes the control out of your hands and puts it into something else. And the Apostle Paul, this is not a new thing, obviously. The Apostle Paul, no doubt, saw in Ephesus and many other cities cases where people just drank all the time. There was the Greek god Bacchus that some people would worship, and he was the god of wine. And so if you wanted to please him, well, pour yourself a big glass, and then another, and then another. And these people would just party till the dawn came, and they would drink excessively, But Paul saw how families and relationships started to get damaged by this loss of self-control. He saw how people would just throw their lives away, how they would be wasting their time doing nothing but partying. And Paul saw days that could have been spent being productive for God, being completely thrown away like trash. And so that's why he says to the Christians here in Ephesians 5, he says, be very careful how you live. Be very careful. Make the most of every opportunity. Be filled with the Spirit. 
See, what we do right now matters for all eternity. You will someday be looking back at your life going, that day was a day God gave me. How did I use that day? Did I make the most of every opportunity? Or did I just throw it aside? Did I throw it aside because I was surrendering my control to drink or to pleasure or to greed or the many other things that distract us? Or did I become filled with the Spirit and live a life according to what God had planned for me? See, God fills us with that Spirit and He gives us a purpose through that. And that's what we look at today. Of course, you hear that phrase, being filled with the Spirit, and it sounds good. It sounds like a good Christian church thing. But what does that really mean, to be filled with the Spirit of God? Does it mean having that kind of emotional high that you sometimes get when you have a worship service? Sometimes, but really, being filled with the Spirit is kind of shorthand for saying, we hear the Word of the Lord, and we respond to it properly. The more you listen and study the Word of God and you respond to it, the more the Holy Spirit is working in you, in your life, to accomplish His Word. So you obey the Word and you let the Spirit, not alcohol spirits, you let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, take control of your life. And it's a good surrender of control. When we do this, we seize the day. We carpe diem, right? You seize the day and you live as God intended you to live. In the rest of this passage, Paul goes on from encouraging us to say, be filled with the Spirit. And then he shows you what a life that is Spirit-filled and Spirit-led looks like. How, does, how is it, if you've ever looked at your own life and you thought, am I just spinning my wheels? Am I just doing the same routine day in and day out and none of this really matters? It's just another day, another crossed off thing on the calendar. Then look at what Paul says here. He says, when you live a spirit-filled life, none of it is wasted. It's used a great, great purpose. The first way we seize the day, through the Holy Spirit, by the way, Paul says, is singing, is singing. Music is such a powerful force. Maybe you don't like to sing, but you love to listen to it. And our worship team here at Knox, they have a passion for music. I love coming in on Sunday mornings because they're usually talking about music or they're practicing their music. And they put in a lot of work to bring to you the best they possibly can. I think they do a tremendous job. Last week, we were talking about how we like to listen to a lot of different types of music. I think everybody, we could pull everybody here and we'd probably be all across the spectrum. Some people like classical, some people like country. Why? I don't know. But, you know, some people like rock, some people like, you know, all these different types of music. My wife looks at me every time we're in the car and I put my music mix on. It's really weird. And she just goes, why are you the way that you are? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I love my music. But we were talking about this, that we all like our different types of very catchy, a music that appeals to us, but there is something special and something significant about the music we sing in church. And it's on a different level. It's, it's, it's strange because songs, they express how we feel. They express what we're passionate about. They express what we love. I mean, that's why there's so many love songs in the world. Because people are passionate about love. Go figure. But I told Sarah that when she sends me every week on Thursday morning, she'll send me the lyrics to what we put up here on the screen. I say, as I'm kind of doddering about and I'm putting all the lyrics into PowerPoint, 
Sometimes I just find myself subconsciously, I don't even realize I'm doing it, I'm singing it out loud. I'm singing these hymns in advance out loud. And I told her that. She's like, I do that too when I'm putting them in. And we're talking about how significant these songs are to us, how they express something deeper, something very personal to us. When we say, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. It is well, it is well with my soul. I mean, these songs, these lyrics have such weight to them, such meaning, such personal, intimate meaning in our lives. And it's hard not to sing them. And I think that's because the spirit inside of us, it, I don't think this, I know it, the spirit inside of us leaps at singing praise to God, at glorifying God through song. It's one of the things we're meant to do in worship, is to sing it. He prompts us to do this. Because while all, all other music is well and good, these songs, hymns, and spiritual songs are from our heart. A heart that beats for God. It's really interesting to me that in verse 19, if you have your Bibles open, you look at that. Paul suggests that our singing here has two dimensions. First of all, we have a vertical dimension. We sing up to God, and that's the obvious one. But right here in Ephesians, he also tells us that as we sing, we speak these songs to each other. That's why we have this corporate worship here. The Christian church sings these songs, these words to each other in encouragement. The Christian church in the first century had a really weird reputation because people would kind of look out at the crack of dawn and go, there's people out in the street there. And it would be Christians who once or twice a week would get up at the beginning of the day, they would gather together, and they would sing songs to each other as the sun, sun rose. They would speak hymns to each other. That was their encouragement. That was their way to encourage each other in their faith and lift each other up. And that is something I, even today, when we sing these songs, it's so much different to sing it by yourself than when we sing it together. When we sing these songs together, we are speaking to each other in church. We are reminding each other that God is good. God is holy. He is faithful. He is mighty to save. Sometimes these songs speak to us on a very emotional level. We get that emotional rush. Sometimes, as a good Presbyterian says, these songs speak to us on an intellectual level. But always from, for the Christian, the songs speak to and from our hearts. That's why when we, when we sing, we sing even though some of us have never been in key for our entire lives. I don't care if you are or not. Sing. I mean, I, I, I'm off key very, very often. That's why I kind of sing a little quietly. But we can't worship God in church and not sing. This is very important. This is a core, essential part of our worship. I know during the pandemic, it was a big question in churches. Should we, should we not sing? Is it dangerous to sing? Dangerous not to sing? But I don't, for many of us pastors, we go, we, we can't imagine a worship service where God isn't praised and glorified through song and where we're not singing these words to each other. You just can't do that. You can't come to worship God and stifle the songs of your heart. Listen to that spirit-led voice in your heart that tells you to burst out in song every now and then. You're driving and you think of a hymn, sing it. Sing it out loud. Don't, 
Don't worry about what that other person at the stoplight's looking over like, what are they doing? I don't know. They're, they're singing. Maybe you're doing your dishes. Maybe it's the middle of the night and your spouse is sleeping next to you and you just want to bell out Amazing Grace. Do it! See, you know, maybe they'll wake up and join in. I don't know. You see what happens. But if you love God, sing to God. Sing to God. So the second way that Paul says that the Spirit helps us to seize the day and live as we, we are intended to is through the act of thanksgiving. Now, verse 20 here has been a little problematic over this century. Some people have radically misinterpreted this verse when it says here to always be giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Some people have interpreted this and said, well, that means literally we need to thank God for everything that happens, including sin and death and some things that God is not pleased about. And that, that's, that's weird, but that's what some people thought. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is encouraging us that through the Spirit, we should always be in the state of thanksgiving to God in the name of Jesus. Thanksgiving is not just a meal once a year in a football game. It's this pattern of behavior that the Spirit brings out in the Christian, that we live and breathe thanksgiving to our Lord. Now that's in direct contrast, by the way, to the pattern of the world. Romans 1.21 says that for although the people of the world knew God, they neither glorified Him nor gave thanks to Him. A good God, He's so gracious and He's so good and He's so graceful that He gives even the most ardent atheist, even the most ardent God denier, He gives them blessings. He's given them the blessing of life and of family and of friendship, of love. And yet so many in the world have taken these gifts and they take them and they walk away without giving one thanks up to heaven. One single thanks. Reminds me of the story of a very old lady who came, very frail, very old. She came into the post office and she wanted to mail out a postcard so she went up to a young man and said, can you address this for me? And the young man said, absolutely, and wrote the address. He even wrote a little note that she dictated on this to, to the friend she was sending this to. And he said, is there anything else I can do for you? And she said, yes. At the bottom, can you write this? Write, P.S., please excuse the sloppy handwriting. Sometimes we're not very grateful, are we? The world does not have an attitude of gratitude toward God. That's the pattern of the world, but we should. We as His children have so many reasons to be thankful to our Lord that we can never run out of them. We could do an entire worship service that all we do is just pray thanksgiving. We could do that. The more we get into the Spirit-filled practice of thanksgiving, the less room we have, by the way, as we've talked about before, for complaining, for being discontent, for grumbling in our lives. So remember always that one leper out of the ten that Jesus healed, the one leper that the Spirit went into his heart and said, turn around, go back to him, and say thank you. Say thank you to the Lord who healed you. Let's all be that one leper that continually goes back to God and says, God, thank you. Sometimes I do that and it's you know, a day later and I go, I can't believe I haven't said this yet, but Lord, thank you. Thank you that you did that. Thank you that you, this happened. Thank you that you've given me breath for another day that I can live for you. Let's thank God. What can you thank God for today? Now in the Greek, 
you were looking at a Greek version of the New Testament, you would see that verses 18 through 21 here is one very long sentence. And Paul is kind of building up. He starts with this, this uh, encouragement to be filled with the Spirit. And he says, now here's what happens through that. He says, by being filled with the Spirit, you sing songs to God. You get, live a life of thanksgiving to God. And then he culminates here in verse 21. Never mind how your Bible splits it up here. It really belongs up there. And he says, we need to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now to the outsider looking in at the church, this is a very peculiar thing to, to say. How can people, by submitting to each other in peace, be productive? How do we get ahead in life by doing that? The world tells you if you want to seize the day, you got to look out for numero uno. you got to look out for yourself. you got to work as hard as you can to make all that money. you got to be as popular as you can. you got to be as powerful as you can. You need to be remembered at the end of your life when you finally kick that bucket for how great you were. Maybe if you're really, you know, somebody builds a pyramid or something. I don't know. But he says, that's what the world says. Submitting to each other, that doesn't seem to fall into that, that category of being, you know, how, how do you get ahead by being humble, by lifting somebody else up instead of yourself? So Paul's command here goes against the grain of the world, but it goes right with Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come down here to exalt himself as much as he had an absolute right to do that. The pattern of Jesus' life is one of constant humility. One where he lived in service for others. Where he was born in humility, he lived in humility, and he died in humility. Jesus submitted to others, not because the others were better than him, or stronger than him, but he was submitted because he knew it would please the Heavenly Father. He knew that he would set an example. No disciple ever forgot the day when Jesus came to them at dinner time and he stripped down to just a, a wrapping and he got down on his knees and he took their dirt-encrusted feet and he washed them as a servant would. Jesus, in that moment, established a model of submission for the church to follow. If I have washed your feet, Jesus told them, you should go and wash each other's. Now, I don't know if you've ever participated in a foot washing, an actual foot washing service. Uh, let's, let's sign our hands. Who has actually done this? Foot washing service. Okay. Can we be honest right now? It's a profoundly uncomfortable thing. I, very uncomfortable for me. I've done it a few times. And I always, it's just not my favorite thing. I, I'm, on a good day, I'm not comfortable with my own feet, never mind touching somebody else's. Uh, but there was one year that we went on a mission trip. And on that mission trip, they said during a Thursday night worship service, let's, let's get together with strangers from other churches. We're going to pair you up, the adults with the adults and the kids with kids, and we're going to have you wash each other's feet. I don't know if it was more uncomfortable for me to wash somebody else's feet or for them to wash my feet. But there was another level to it, and it was very, it was very humbling. And afterwards, when I talked with my teen, and, and afterwards, after the teens had gotten past the, that was really gross, and that was really weird part, they did get into a serious discussion about it, and they said, you know, it got us thinking. It got us thinking about how we're on this mission trip, not just to minister to people out there in the community, but how we're supposed to be serving our brothers and sisters right here. And I went, yeah, 
That's what Jesus wants us to understand. Jesus didn't say, this is the only thing we should do. It's, it's just all about foot hygiene. He was trying to establish this pattern, this model of submissive behavior, this attitude we have in our life to always be lifting others up. Philippians 2.3, Paul writes that in submission, we should count others as more significant than ourselves. In other words, get over yourself. If you love Christ, if you want to honor God, you submit to other people. You love them. You live for them. You do what you can for them. Not looking for your own gain, but looking for what you could do to please God. It pleases Him. A Spirit-filled heart says to God, Lord, what can I sing to you today? What can I give thanks to you today? And what can I do for others for you today? That's how you seize the day. And that sort of thing you can't fake. You could fake it for a little while, but you really can't fake it for the long haul. It only is possible by having the Spirit genuinely in your life and in control of you. So I have to ask you, do you want to experience life as God intended? Do you want to get over this old pattern of living that says, be out for yourself, be arrogant, just seize what you can, live for your own pleasure, just ignore all the rest of the world, be constantly grumbling and complaining that you don't have more. Instead, do you want to live as God intended you to live in a way that is deeply fulfilling, reverent, gets you in touch with who Jesus is and the way he lived? Are you willing to be humble, be joyful, and to be thankful for the help of the Spirit? Do you want to seize this day for the fullest potential it has? Then get filled with the Spirit and listen to how he guides you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, such great encouragement that Pastor Paul gives us here in Ephesians 5. Lord, I think this theme of submission as we're going to continue to look at, it's really hard for us because it's a word that the world says is just an evil thing. It's, it's deeply oppressive. But Lord, we look at how when we submit in love, Lord, we honor you, we glorify you, we lift others up, and Lord, we actually find more peace and contentment in our own lives than we've ever had before. I pray that Knox Church, Lord, that we would be a church that sings to you, gives thanks to you, and submits to others for you. That, Lord, through this model, we might grow stronger in unity as your church body. Please be with us this week as we take the steps to do just that. Be with us in our final song today, Lord, that we may lift up our, our voices and sing to you and please you. In your name, amen.